All right. Well, David, this is the perfect time to talk about one of our favorite companies, Statsig. Yes. When we had VJ on ACQ2 earlier this year, they were already a pretty impressive kind of Series B stage startup with a killer team and early product market fit. But what's happened since and the scale that they're operating at now is pretty wild. This is where we get lucky in being very choosy with our sponsors. Sometimes these things happen to them while we're mid-flight. Yes. So I asked them for some fun stats. In the past month, Statsig shipped actual live product experiments to over 1.2 billion end users. Now, that stat is not deduplicated across apps, so there's some overlap. But I mean, even if you cut that in half to approximate actual flesh and blood human people out there, that's almost 10% of the world's population. Crazy. Okay, so that's one. Two, Statsig now processes about 130 billion events per day. So the infrastructure that Statsig now has to support these data volumes is pretty wild. And it's not like they just execute these events. They then take all the data from them, run huge statistical jobs across the whole corpus to compute the experiment results that their customers are running. It is just wild. It's funny, I hadn't thought to make this comparison until right now. So you said 1.7 million events a second. If you look at the visa numbers, I just pulled up my visa notes, Visa does 8,600 transactions per second. So that's, what, 200 times as much throughput at Statsig than at Visa? On the customer side, Statsig added arguably almost all of the most important AI companies in the world this year, including Microsoft, Atlassian, Anthropic, along, of course, with regular old companies like Notion and UiPath and Lattice and Brex and friends of the show Rec Room. The team also kept shipping super fast. At the start of the year, they had just one core product. Today, they're a full-fledged product understanding platform. They have dedicated feature flagging, warehouse native experimentation, and product analytics. Yep. So if your team wants the best platform in the world for making data-driven product decisions, you should reach out. Statsig.com slash acquired. And as always, there is special white glove onboarding for all acquired listeners. Our huge thanks to Statsig. We'd like to thank our one listener that we see in our analytics on Zoom. <laughs> and the one listener on Stitcher who happens to be my wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great way to lead into this episode. Who got the truth? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Who got the truth now? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Sit me down. Say it straight. Another story on the way. Who got the truth? Welcome back to episode 16 of Acquired the podcast where we talk about technology acquisitions. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm David Rosenthal. And we are your hosts. Today, we have a few notes before we dive into it. I wanted to take a minute and say a huge thank you to one of our listeners, David Resnick. Uh, he's known as The Resonator in Slack. David is an entrepreneur with a company called Bester, but in a former career, he was a recording engineer and music producer. David's been helping us tremendously with audio quality, so I wanted to give a shout out to his company. Bester is a platform to share the best things. Curate your bests into topics with automated images and links. You can use their widget with your branding embedded on your website. Find out more at bester.co. That's www.bestr.co. Which brings me to my next point. 
Uh, David and I were grabbing Big announcement alert. Yeah. Do 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 do. If uh, this were a really high production podcast, we would have we some have sound effects. That's right. That's right. We wanted to do something a little bit different uh, with this podcast. We're at about the size where we could start doing some uh, some advertising. Um, and actually, we'll, we'll get into our analytics a little bit later this episode as, as part of the topic of the show. Instead, we wanted to do something called Community Showcase. And since so many of our listeners are entrepreneurs that are building things, product people at, uh, at companies or, or um, venture capitalists or finance people, really people that are, are involved in, in creating products themselves, we thought it would be really cool to try and just do a, a community focus every episode. Rather than advertising, at least for now, uh, we're going to experiment with this. Um, we're not charging anything or making any money on this, but uh, we really just wanted to um, do it as a thank you to our community and listeners and, and especially those that are really engaged on on the Slack channel and, and emailing us. Um, so if you have something you're working on and you want us to talk about it on the show, either hit us up on in the Slack community or send us an email. And That's um, acquiredfm at gmail.com also on our website and uh, we will aim to do uh, start with one and maybe do more of these every show let us know what you think yeah that's true you can hit us up on uh, on twitter to at acquired fm and uh, we may do a more kind of traditional advertising thing later but if you're working on something we'd love to uh, give you a shout out on the show so uh david you ready to dive in i think with that all of the preamble here is very appropriate because this episode is a meta episode about podcasts. Yes. Today uh, on this episode 16, we will be covering the acquisition by scripts of both Midroll and Stitcher. So um, I think we'll we'll dive right into it. David, you want to do hi- history and facts? Yeah. And I, and I should say before we do this, uh, the um, <laughs> the theme here was was topic was first inspired by my wife, Jenny. Uh, I wanted to make sure I give her a shout out. Uh, she was trying to get to our website and she was Googling acquired podcast and realized that we weren't in the top hits on SEO. So this is a unabashed SEO play to get to the top uh, the top of the Google hits on on for acquired podcast. This is the first time hearing of this. <laughs> um, so uh, EW Scripts Company, for those that aren't familiar, is a very old um, company by technology standards, not a technology company. They are a broadcast media company. And historically, it also been a newspaper publisher, but they uh, operate a number of cable networks and television and radio broadcasting uh, stations uh, locally around the country. And in the la- over the last two years, they've made two acquisitions that uh, have made a huge splash in the business of podcasting space, um, something that Ben and I have gotten to know a little bit about over the last year. <laughs> so the first company that they bought was a uh, bootstrapped startup uh, called Midroll. And Midroll has a super interesting history. Uh, some of our listeners might be familiar with parts of the company. Um, it was started in 2010 by two guys, Scott Ackerman and Jeff Ehrlich. And it was started as a company called Earwolf. It was actually a comedy podcasting network. So Scott had a podcast that was part of, uh, it was in LA, in LA. And he had a a radio comedy show that I believe was originally called Comedy Death Ray, I think. And it was, they eventually changed the name 
of it uh, as a podcast to Comedy Bang Bang. And he had a bunch of comedians on the show and it had a pretty loyal following. And so they decided to sort of start a podcasting network around it. So they added a bunch of other comedy shows, uh, added culture shows and um, music uh, podcasts uh, over time. And uh, I guess it was Comedy Death Ray that it started as. And, and, and actually, it, it originally, the origins of it were in the Upright Citizens Brigade uh, mm. stand-up comedy in, uh, in Hollywood uh, that Scott had started doing there. And, and then it actually went on uh, separate from what the company that became Midroll, uh, Comedy Bang Bang, went on to become a television show on IFC, a comedy television show. So interesting roots for what is today the uh, giant among midgets uh, in the in the podcasting <laughs> world. <laughs> so they bootstrapped this company uh, for a couple years. They were just purely a content network. And then in 2014, they were doing their own advertising for for all the podcasts in the network. Uh, they were direct selling ads. And they started getting approached by advertisers who wanted to buy ad space on other podcasts that weren't part of their own network of shows that they were producing. And they kind of thought, well, that's interesting. So they launched a, a separate product uh, that was an ad, uh, an, an ad network, one of the first, if not the first, ad network for the podcasting industry. This was in 2014. They called it Midroll Media. That, that, that gives you a sense of how new this whole thing is. I mean, it was, it was less than two years ago. Less that... than two years ago, which is crazy given that you know, podcasting has been around for over 10 years, you know, going back to the iPod. Yeah, pr- pretty new to uh, the, an advertising-based um, revenue model. Yeah. Or really, um, really monetization at all. Yeah, and and we'll get into this in in tech themes and others. But you know, this industry, uh, the podcasting industry, is so fragmented relative to like how many people, millions, hundreds of millions of people listen to podcasts. Yeah. So so from the press release when they launched Midroll, they said this the new company uh, Midroll offers a three hundred and sixty degree suite of production, distribution, and monetization services to artists, entertainers, and thought leaders. Advertisers benefit from access to the talented hosts of more than 120 shows and their engaged audiences totaling more than 15 million downloads a month using the industry's first user-focused self-service platform. So this is crazy. This is 2014, the first self-service advertising platform for the podcasting industry has 120 shows. I mean, compare that to like ad networks for display ads or yeah. other forms of advertising adwords has you know millions and millions of advertisers millions like this is or m- maybe millions of sites hundreds of thousands of ad no probably millions of advertisers yeah this is like a grain of sand compared to like every beach on earth <laughs> yeah and and we'll get to the dollar amounts too but uh, again a grain of sand but they sign up some pretty large podcasts to be part of the network so wtf with mark Marin which is one of the largest podcasts out there. Barack Obama was on it recently. They have Bill Simmons's podcasts and all the Ringer podcasts. So about a year after this, and, and one year ago now, Scripps comes in and they buy the company. And it was not announced at the time how much they paid for it, but it has since come out, uh, reported $50 million up front and another $10 million earn out uh, to basically take out like the giant in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, which pretty good return for for um, Scott and Jeff, considering that you know this was totally bootstrapped. They never raised any money. Yeah, yeah. F- I mean, fifty million is is well. Let's just we're not going to beat around the bush. We'll get into the numbers now. Podcast advertising. There's not that much money spent right now in podcasting as a medium. 
According to a, uh, a Wall Street Journal article from earlier this year, advertisers are only expected to spend about $35 million on podcasts this year, and that's only up about 2% from last year. Yeah. So the whole industry, $35 million across the whole industry, of which Midroll represents many of the largest podcasts, but nowhere near the whole industry. I don't know about nowhere near. I think it's, it, it's not ridiculous to, to say they're the majority of the, the advertising spend goes through Midroll. Of independent podcasts, probably, but the largest podcasts are probably ah, good point. The, like N- NPR, NPR and, This American Life, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, Gimlet, uh, those. good point. There was a there's a quote by the um, um, someone at Midroll saying that a handful of their podcasters gross over a million dollars a year, and they have about a thirty percent take rate. So actually, factoring back, it, it looks like Midroll's annual revenue is somewhere in the neighborhood of two million dollars a year. Yeah, wow. So. Uh, Scripps acquires this company about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. Um, they operate it for a year. Uh, the team stays intact. The CEO, um, the mid-roll had brought in a, a, an outside CEO, Adam Sachs. Uh, I believe he's still the CEO of the company. And then just a couple weeks ago, the other shoe drops. <laughs> so one of the issues, which again, we'll get into, that's been holding the podcasting industry back, again, relative to how much usage and engagement it has as a media platform uh, with with people and users out there, the amount of advertising spend in it is the ad, the all pillars of the, the platform are basically completely divorced from one another. So you have the way people listen to and consume the user experience, consume podcasts via clients or streaming over websites. That's completely divorced from where the podcasts are hosted, where the media is hosted, and that is also completely divorced from the advertising yeah. model. Well, uh, as a quick aside, why don't I give um, kind of what our stack and process looks like so people get a sense? And and this is not unusual. I mean, these parts are swapped in and out, but they are they they're rarely consolidated. Just to start the whole process, .fm domain names are expensive, so you're not going out and getting you know a, a eight dollar GoDaddy. So you drop a hundred bucks on um, picking up your your .fm domain domain name because that's that's the hotness these days. So you're uh, you need some way to have a consumer facing website. So we have uh, we have um, Squarespace for that. So Squarespace generates our RSS feed and gives us a public facing site. Now the way that we deliver podcasts over almost any client is by submitting that RSS feed to the iTunes directory. Now, iTunes doesn't host anything. They merely have a, a URL pointing at your RSS feed, which they scan about once a day, unless you manually force it. And then they update their directory with where your MP3s are hosted. Now we need a place to host MP3s. Um, a lot of people use SoundCloud. A lot of people will use a, um, something like PodTrack. For a while, we were actually hosting them on Squarespace, but you don't get a lot of analytics that way. So then you need a hosting service. So we use Libsyn for that, who's, who's actually been really great. So you, you, you pay for a hosting service to host your MP3s, uh, which your RSS feed points. Yeah. So so now we've got we've got just to get this this podcast in the in the ears of you, dear listeners. We have to go through three companies. Yep. So th- then it's in iTunes, um, and there's a, a player that ships with with iOS, obviously that, or you can use iTunes on the desktop that that uh, points at the iTunes directory, but it's made available for others to point to also. So uh, Overcast or Pocket Casts, or there is a variety of players that a lot of you are listening to, mostly on your iOS devices, over eighty percent on on iOS devices. And again, that's completely decoupled from all the other pieces of the ecosystem. So at the end of the day. 
if you're advertising on a podcast, all you really know is that your name and company was mentioned in an MP3 that got shipped down to potentially an unknown number of people using an unknown number of platforms, and you don't even know if they heard it. Yeah. And compare and contrast that to other technology-enabled media platforms like Medium for blogging or Facebook, which we've talked about a bunch, or Twitter or Instagram. You know, All of those, the consumption of the content by users, the hosting of the content for uh, content producers and the advertising platform are all very tightly coupled into one product. Yep, yep. And in fact, it, it, it's it's the reason that those industries, the, the incredible measurement and the very tight coupling of all those components are the reason why those became dominant advertising platforms. I mean, uh, for direct response ads especially, but um, even brand advertising requires uh, an amount of measurement beyond what's available in, in podcasting right now. Yeah, I mean, if somebody were to come along and like, give Ben and me a, a boatload of money to read their advertisements on our show, we basically could tell them nothing about yeah. what happened with we, that. We actually, should, is this a good time? Should we share, the, share what our, uh, our numbers look like here? Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's do that and then we'll pick the story back up. Cool. So here's, here's what we could tell them. We could tell them, I'm looking at our LinkedIn episode um, two episodes ago, that we have uh, about 6,400 listeners which is you know unique uh, unique IPs that have downloaded the URL. We are non-representative. Most of the time, sixty to seventy percent uh, or higher of uh, of listens are going to come through Apple's iOS player. We actually have of of that uh, what did I say sixty four hundred mm-hmm. about forty one hundred come from Pocket Casts since uh, they they were kind enough to feature us on the homepage. So a lot of you are probably listening through the Pocket Casts app. About a thousand from from Apple. 297 from uh, Marco Arment's Overcast, and then trickling on down from there through various browsers of people listening on the website. But we basically could tell them um, a little bit about geography. You know, we can tell them the IP addresses and, and cities that people are coming from and, and the clients, but we have no idea how many people actually got to that point in the episode. Yeah. That's, that's one of the critical pieces. We, we can't tell them how many of you actually heard what we would be being paid to say. Right. And and everybody, you know, you hear those promo codes in, in a lot of podcasts that give you that nice 10% off. That is literally the only way that the advertiser has to attribute to that channel. So uh, a lot of the times, um, you know, you might hear uh, uh, an ad for Squarespace and you, you go to Squarespace and you sign up, but you don't type in the code that that never ends up getting attributed to that that podcast. The loop doesn't get closed. Nope. and then so so you get a little bit of the picture of some of the challenges with the industry so scripts actually and, and other people have tried this before but scripts actually is really brilliant here like they see there is a huge arbitrage right now between the user listener uh, numbers and engagement on podcasts as a whole medium and the complete cluster that uh, is the state of any kind of advertising or analytics analytics on the platform and so yeah. the way you the only way you can solve this is to own the full stack and bring it together. You know, one way to to uh, own any sort of um, a- advertising on the back end would be to be the hosting and to be the analytics. But you couldn't do the measurement unless you have the the front end too. So on the web, you could run JavaScript and understand. You know, has an ad been served? Are people clicking it? How long has it been on site? How long has it been shown? Anyway, in a in a podcast. 
you'd need to get a player that had a pretty serious market share in order to actually, uh, you know, understand impressions or do anything fancy around, you know, during this part of the podcast, there's going to be something popping up. And if you want to tap that button, it'll take you directly to the site. So you don't have to remember to type it in later. Or even just passively to know just like on Instagram, like did somebody actually see this <laughs> right. picture or this ad? Right. So a couple of weeks ago, the other shoe drops and Scripps acquires a company called Stitcher. Uh, we'd say we suspect many of you know about it and might be listening to us on Stitcher, but our analytics tell us there is one of you. Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> Jenny is my wife. She loves Stitcher. So Stitcher is a podcast client uh, for mobile devices. And it was kind of an interesting story. It was founded in 2008 by three guys, Noah Shank, Peter DeVrode, and Mike Gaffrey. And just like now, in 2008, podcasts were also experiencing a a torrid growth uh, pace. And um, Stitcher managed to raise quite a bit of venture money uh, to go after this vision of creating, creating the front door, the aggregated user experience client to become the dominant podcast podcast podcasting client. So they raised about $25 million over three rounds, uh, first from New Atlantic Ventures, and then from Benchmark, and then from NEA. And unfortunately, it didn't work. So in 2014, about the same time that Midroll was getting launched, uh, Stitcher actually ends up getting acquired by the French music streaming company Deezer, the sort of Spotify competitor. And uh, that didn't work out too great either. It sort of languishes within uh, within Deezer. And then last month, Scripps bought Stitcher back from Deezer. And we don't know how much Deezer acquired it for, but we do know it was an aqua hire, so probably not much. And so Scripps buys Stitcher for the princely sum of $4.5 million in cash. <laughs> yeah, that's... Um... So this is a company shame. that had raised $25 million as a venture-backed startup failed been aqua hired by another venture back startup uh and then now is being bought by scripts for four and a half million dollars yeah and and so you know the the strategy makes a lot of sense all of a sudden you're coupling the ability to really turn on the ad sales funnel with with midroll with the ability to have a front-end client that you could instrument and and um, do some creative things around to do do advertising at the end of the day iOS is still the dominant platform that people listen to their podcasts on and it ships with a podcast client. So the challenge ahead is to be able to figure out a way to make Stitcher appealing to people that they would actually go and seek out another way to listen to podcasts rather than use the the yeah. built-in Apple one. And again, like Scripps gets this. Like again, this is the play that you would run if you want to actually unlock the value in the podcasting ecosystem. So Adam Sisman, who's the chief digital officer at Scripps, who led the acquisition, he was quoted in the press release as basically saying just what Ben said, you know, uh, we certainly have the ad sales force and the connections that make us a leader in the space. But today we depend almost exclusively on distribution into other channels. This puts in place with a very strong brand, arguably with Stitcher, <laughs> uh, very strong brand, another piece of the puzzle in the ecosystem play. Yeah, I'm just going to throw out, I don't know if it's a bias or if it's uh well, I, whatever. I think Stitcher is garbage. Like every time I open the thing, it is... is yeah, so let's get into why Stitcher is garbage. So <laughs> yeah. the... Um, 
the tech industry and especially the corner of the tech industry that is concerned with podcasts or have podcasts of their own basically like erupted in an outcry when this happens. Uh, John Gruber, who hosts the talk show, which might be the largest and most influential technology podcast, um, he wrote a blog post uh, saying, Midroll owning Stitcher is not good for the podcast ecosystem. Stitcher is popular, but my show is not on Stitcher because Stitcher re-hosts the audio compresses it to hell and unless you opt out inserts their own inserts their own ads that's not how podcasting is supposed to work i firmly believe podcasting should be open like the web yeah so gruber is a grumpy old man on this one i mean i think that there's a, a lot of things where i don't believe that the user experience delivered by um, by stitcher is, is very good and i don't think the fact that they're compressing the audios is great you know you want to let podcasters kind of have creative freedom on that. I, I think the way they currently deliver ads is kind of garbagey. The list goes on. However, is publishing worse than it was when you had to purchase your own rack-mounted web server and install your own blogging software? Like, are, are we in a place where if somebody creates the blogger or um, medium or the, the worst case the scenario on or... everyone's mind is the Facebook. Yeah. Of, of podcasting is, is the world worse. I think there's a very valuable business to be made there. And I think you can provide, um, potentially podcasting to more people than, than here today, because you can come up with a, a real sustainable business around it. There's definitely some sacrifices that, that would have to be made there because I think that ultimately it would be a programmatic ad network with, you know, a, a full bidding system the way that AdWords is or the way that Facebook ads are. And, you know, may, maybe that that upsets a lot of people and changes the way that that it works a little bit. But I think it makes podcasting a, a more sustainable business. Yes, I totally agree. I completely agree. Gruber's being a grumpy old man here. The problem isn't what Stitcher is doing. It's that they're doing a really crappy job of it. And like the parallels here... I mean, I, I actually, I completely agree. I think the opportunity is huge to create as um, terrified as Gruber and Ben Thompson, you know, another one of our uh, folks we talk about on the show are a lot. He has a blog post about about this on Stratechery and talks about it on his podcast, which is excellent, Exponent, uh, that he does with James Allworth. Um, they're terrified of the Facebookization of podcasts. But the difference between Facebook and Stitcher is, like we talked about in the Instant Articles episode, Facebook cares a lot about the user experience and about making things beautiful. And the analogy is 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 exact between instant articles where they're taking content that publishers have created, they're re-host self-hosting it within yeah. Facebook and then they are serving ads that they are inserting inserting into it um, and then sharing that ad revenue with the publishers. It's the exact same dynamics. The difference is Facebook acquired Pushpop Press mm -hmm. to do this very, very beautifully, and Stitcher is a piece of crap. Yeah, and here, you know, Stitcher's under new management now, so I'm very curious if if Midroll Midroll strikes me as a very, um, very tasteful company, and you know, Midroll might do really good things with Stitcher. I yep. worry about it in its current Absolutely. state. Absolutely, but the question is, there are a bunch of questions that we'll dive into. Um, the first question is what can Stitcher become as part of mid-roll and as part of scripts? And that's interesting, you know, talking about in the context of our show, we've never really seen something like this, at least on our show, go successfully before. We are acquiring a product that, you know, again, we're hating on Stitcher here. Apologies to all of the one Stitcher fans 
listening to us. <laughs> but, you know, we've never really seen it, a, a product be acquired that isn't fundamentally like a good product. Uh, and then so just, they're sort of like betting on hope here. LinkedIn. <laughs> okay, well, that was a little different. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, but, you know, like that isn't like a technology company with a great team uh, behind it. And the capability within the company to at least deliver, a, you know, the minimum viable product. Here, they're, they're, it's a, a small subscale technology company that's part of an old school media company acquiring another vastly subscale technology company. And what they need to do is build an incredible technology enabled user interface. Yeah. And have we seen um, an example? I don't think we've done an example on the show yet where a company does... Actually, I take that back. We sort of saw it with Office. But that where I was going is a company does multiple acquisitions and sort of combines them in a, in a, a kind of a classic conglomerate way to uh, build a new product from combining existing ones. And the, the example I'm thinking of there is, is um, with... Uh, uh, the Accompli acquisition building Sunrise Calendar into Accompli. But we, you know, we have yet to see if that is a, a product success or market success yet. Yep, yep. Well, and they were, you know, the difference there too is like the parent company acquiring them all was Microsoft. And, you know, you could say whatever you want about Microsoft, but they're a lot more, their technology chops are a lot better than scripts. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we're, uh, um, we're obviously biased by being part of the startup ecosystem, but I'm, um, I'm very excited to see what entrepreneurs come up with uh, with new de novo businesses to to tackle this problem. Yeah. And so, you know, we're talking about all the weird forces at play in podcasting right now and, and kind of the weirdness of the ecosystem. There's sort of secret meetings going on with Apple and and some of the bigger uh, bigger publishers and existing podcasters to understand, you know, should we make this something where it's actually a a monetizable platform and they own the ecosystem top to bottom. And one of the things that's sort of playing into that, why the, the reason everyone's making a big deal is because the cost per thousand impressions or the CPMs that podcasting commands, at least right now, and may be attributable to the audience that it has and uh, being a very high value audience, but they have $100 CPMs. And for anyone in, in sort of advertising um, or who has done online advertising. That's pretty unreal. Yeah. The, the average YouTube CPM in 2014 was $14. Web display ads can get anywhere from $10, $5, you know, podcasting is, is like total breakout. And you know, that's, that's the ceiling with hundred dollar CPMs. And, um, I think for this show, we'd be somewhere between 25 and $50, but the people that are making their living as sort of independent podcasters right now are doing great. They're doing great. If you have an audience and you're an independent podcaster, you can do great. Yep. And actually, Ben Thompson makes a good case a, a while ago before The Ringer started about how Bill Simmons could move to solely podcasting, how it's uh, much more economical, actually, if you're a writer, but you're also um, someone who could do a show, to write for free and publish that as your lead gen and then monetize yeah. your, your podcast audience. We want to thank our longtime friend of the show, Vanta, the leading trust management platform. Vanta, of course, automates your security reviews and compliance efforts, so frameworks like SOC 2, ISO 27001, GDPR, and HIPAA compliance and monitoring. Vanta takes care of these otherwise incredibly time and resource draining efforts for your organization and makes them fast and simple. Yep, Vanta is the perfect example of the quote that we talk about all the time here on Acquired. Jeff Bezos, his idea that a company should only focus on what actually makes your beer taste better, i.e. spend your time and resources 
only on what's actually going to move the needle for your product and your customers and outsource everything else that doesn't. Every company needs compliance and trust with their vendors and customers. It plays a major role in enabling revenue because customers and partners demand it, but yet it adds zero flavor to your actual product. Vanta takes care of all of it for you. No more spreadsheets, no fragmented tools, no manual reviews to cobble together your security and compliance requirements. It is one single software pane of glass that connects to all of your services via APIs and eliminates countless hours of work for your organization. There are now AI capabilities to make this even more powerful, and they even integrate with over 300 external tools. Plus, they let customers build private integrations with their internal systems. And perhaps most importantly, your security reviews are now real-time instead of static, so you can monitor and share with your customers and partners to give them added confidence. So whether you're a startup or a large enterprise and your company is ready to automate compliance and streamline security reviews like Vanta's 7,000 customers around the globe and go back to making your beer taste better, head on over to vanta.com acquired and just tell them that Ben and David sent you. And thanks to friend of the show, Christina, Vanta's CEO, all acquired listeners get $1,000 of free credit. Vanta.com slash acquired. All right, let's, um, let's maybe jump into acquisition category. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's pretty clear here. This is a product acquisition that is getting rolled into this suite of products. Yep. Yep. Got to be. If they can daisy chain these things together correctly, there's a, a bunch of money to be made. I think... Um, I think it involves having exclusive content. It's hard for me to imagine a reason to go download a podcast player to play. Well, it's hard for me to imagine going and downloading Stitcher to listen to content that I could get otherwise. But if it became sort of a Netflix type thing where they're producing original content and signing exclusive artists and, you know, maybe it doesn't quite use that model where I'm paying a subscription fee, but it does use the model where I have to be listening on the very place where I can be advertised to, then they might be able to create a real business there. Yeah. And and this is very explicitly, they've said, so this is their plan. Mm. Um, and so uh, Midroll was already had two pieces of the ecosystem together with the content network and the advertising network. In a news article, uh, in an interview after the acquisition of Stitcher, you know, this kind of came that Midroll has just come out with a new premium service called Howl, which offers original shows and ad-free archives of popular podcasts. So they're clearly moving into this kind of Netflix type category. And and they interviewed the the president of the VP of business development at Midroll, uh, Eric Dine, and um, they say, and he says clearly at some point the two will intersect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, moving on to, do you want to do what would have happened otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in this case, like, this is sort of the first real splash that's been made of somebody trying to do the obvious and bring the three pillars of this medium together. So I think, I think otherwise, like, we would just continue to drift. Yeah, Stitcher continues to languish, mid-roll continues to grow incrementally and is able to sell to you know, the uh, sell ads to um, some of the big but not network big podcasts. And uh, we continue to see a lack of consolidation and no money go to podcasting. Yep. And what's interesting in the, this is almost the like, not what would have happened otherwise, but what will happen now. I do wonder if this is like the shot across the bow that wakes up some folks in the entrepreneurial and startup community to realize man, there's a big opportunity here and build uh, uh, or attempt to build, you know, what Stitcher tried to in the beginning. Yeah, David, it feels like you're, you're teeing me up a little bit. We um, we actually gave this a go at Pioneer Square Labs 
And we were really interested in podcasting just based on the growth trajectory of the amount of people that have started listening to, to podcasts in the last couple of years. Um, it's still not a huge number of people, but the growth rate's really good. And one of the reasons, I mean, for all the reasons on this show that we've already talked about, uh, we, we shied away from it where, you know, it's, it's there's only, you know, 30 to $40 million spent a year on it. You can't really stick your toe out with an MVP. You have to be the hosting, the analytics. You really have to have a client out there and your client has to have some reason to be better than Apple's client um, because, you know, shipping with the platform is a huge advantage. There was one thing that we really wanted to do and that was dynamic ad insertion so that we could sell ads programmatically. And one thing that we felt was super important was for the host to be able to read the ads because that's been one of the things that commands the really high CPMs um, in the world today. And one way that we were going to do that is have the host go through and, and record ahead of time the, uh, the um, ad reads, and then we could insert in the host's own voice anywhere throughout the uh, the audio. Oh, that's cool. Um, the, the ads. So we started, you know, looking at this and we started figuring out, okay, cool. We can make like pretend MP3 URLs and dynamically generate those um, episodes with the appropriate ad for that person at the moment that it gets downloaded by their podcast client and send it specifically to them. We started looking around. There really are some, some people tackling this right now. There's a, a company called Acast that's doing dynamic ad insertion. And actually just recently, um, Panoply launched, uh, uh, a company called Megaphone, or I guess a product called Megaphone.fm. And they also are doing the dynamic ad insertion. They've got this cool UI where if you're a uh, an advertiser or a, a host, you can go in and, and select the spots where you want to insert the uh, the ad. So, you know, some people are making runs at this. I, I continue to think that you need to be able to show uh, show real measurement from the, the um, client side. But who knows? Maybe... Um, Maybe something crazy will change and, and Apple have an API to plug into for that. You know, they're they're suddenly not averse to uh um to services uh, revenue. Well, yeah, and and uh, an advertising model as we're seeing with um changes in the app store. And if they can find a way that continues to ensure user privacy but makes podcasting more valuable, maybe we'll see a way for Apple to open up reporting of uh of um podcasts to advertisers. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Two things I wanna I wanna mention one just mentioned real quick um i feel like we haven't quite sharply pointed out yet the other dynamic that's really interesting in this industry is apple Uh, i mean apple like created this medium or it was created around apple yeah they're still the dominant player but they don't care about it at all it's funny they just they, they sort of um inherited it too people were creating podcasts and sending them around ad hoc and they were uh, people were putting them on their iPods, and then finally Apple put a podcast section of the iTunes Music Store, which was just a directory and not a hosting service for people to do this. And it's so funny that it's still you know even called podcasting, right? Like nobody has an iPod anymore, and Apple has just like accidentally had this nascent huge opportunity unfold that they're really not taking advantage of because it's really not an Apple type business. Yeah, you know, it's there. Apple classically sells uh, hardware and makes a profit on that hardware and then has software and services to differentiate that experience. And that doesn't sound like what this is at all. But in this new kind of shifting Apple, maybe we'll see this, but yeah, my, my bet would still be on Apple letting it Doubtful, no, it and, and it also, you know, I want to bring up one thing that we've thought about, I've thought about, 
you know, it's before and in preparing for this show is like, I bet a lot of listeners are saying, well, well, hey, I mean, like what you guys are talking about already exists. It's called SoundCloud. Um, <laughs> and like, that's true to a certain extent. But I think I think SoundCloud and Apple both like they're very focused on music. Um, I actually just right before we started recording the show went through the um, for some reason, my old SoundCloud account got deleted or something. And I, I went through the onboarding process. It's Twitter's investment. Twitter's investment. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and, and through the onboarding process, like it's super clear that SoundCloud is about music and that they're pushing people to music, not to podcasting. And, and same with Apple, you know, they're invest, they bought beats. Uh, maybe we'll cover that in a future show, you know, and redid Apple music. They're investing a lot in that. Um, but nobody is really doing this. You know, I think you, if you're going to build a really great, client and consumer experience like it has to be about podcasts yeah Um, agreed second thing i wanted to mention real quick um you know ben this is a great example since you were talking about psl like i'm curious i bet a lot of our listeners are curious like what's your process at psl like how did you guys when you were diving into podcasts like what did you do to validate the market like how did you look at this yeah so a lot of the times we start with a space that we think is interesting um, and that's what we did here and I really, you know, I'm kind of the guy that buys all of our uh, our ads on social and search. And um, in sort of knowing exactly how that world works, it was kind of like blindly obvious to me, like, wait a minute, if I want to buy ads on a podcast, I have to do what? Like manually get in t- touch with someone at, at mid-roll and, you know, there's a minimum or the spend. podcast directly. Yeah, it's it's a... Uh, you know, it's a completely immature market. And so we started pushing on that opportunity and trying to figure out, okay, what would it look like if if we actually pursued this? So we, we do two things. We do kind of a top down and a bottom up. And from a top down, um, you know, we look at what is the market today and what market forces do we think will make, you know, what, what, what does it look like in five or 10 years? And obviously that's a guess, but we try and make that an educated guess. And we look at things like, um, you know, in this, it, Apple could be either a big risk or uh, potentially m- make this a lot easier. Um, and that it it would be all about timing. So we look at sort of that top down of, okay, how much how much money could this business really make? What's a TAM mm-hmm. there? And then we do a bottom up. And I think that if we were a, a, a VC firm, we would we would kind of just do the top down. And if I was an entrepreneur, we would just do the bottom up. But since we're sort of both, you know, that the, the kind of startup studio is um, responsible for both sides of the house in the early stages, uh, deciding whether to go after the opportunity and actually doing some of the building. Um, once it kind of passes that sniff test of this could be a big business, which this one didn't, then we start really validating, um, can we acquire customers for significantly less than the lifetime customer value, you know, building uh, as lightweight of stuff as we could. And we really couldn't think of a good way to lightweight test this because, again, you'd have to be the the host, the analytics provider, ship the client, mm-hmm. get client adoption. It's a years, years long process. And it, it could be an interesting business, just not one that we could do in sort of a, a short um, early validation time frame. Which, again, kind of brings us back to this. Dilemma, and we know we'll see what happens with this set of acquisitions from Scripps, but this dilemma that the industry's in where like it's kind of hard to just start a company to fix this, like to just start Facebook, you know, or just start Instagram. <laughs> right. 
you have to do a lot more heavy lifting than they did up front. And you have to contend with these players like Apple that are hugely dominant in the industry, but a really complex set of motivations. Right, right. You would have to have a lot of confidence there to to make a big investment in this that Apple wasn't going to flip some switch because it seems like while it's not in their wheelhouse, huge risk to your business. Yeah. Um, At the same time, like there is like, let's be clear, like as a VC, I believe and you probably believe too, Ben, like the numbers don't lie. Like there's a massive opportunity here. Yeah. Something will happen in podcasting. It's not totally clear how it'll shake out. And the, the our, our big question in grading this one is, do we think it's going to be these guys? Yeah. Let's move on to tech themes and cover that. So I, I feel like we, we were dancing around this a little bit in talking about how the kind of the distribution of of the audience and listeners is is across the industry and, and different podcasts. My tech theme is is the power law, and we see this in so many areas of tech, whether it's the app store and that the top you know ten apps are responsible for whatever you know x seventy percent or whatever of downloads you know. Um, and it's the same thing here in the in the podcasting industry. So, Ben, you had some stats on this. I think was it that the top ten podcasts are responsible for forty percent of listeners in the entire industry uh it's the t- yeah the top 10 publishers because top 10 the, publishers, those top yeah. 10 publishers npr this american life the, those sorts uh w- wkyc i believe or w wnyc um i think w wkyc is cleveland um <laughs> wnyc they, they have uh, uh you know a big portfolio of podcasts and they're sort of just the the parent publisher but yeah the the, the top 10 are responsible for 40 percent so you know, again, here's another you know puzzle you have to unlock to um, to win this industry is you need those top ten publishers to be on your platform because they represent you know by far or, or you know the top hundred publishers they represent by far the majority of the market. Yeah, yeah. My um my theme is it's really hard to compete with the platform defaults and. Yeah. You know, Apple ships a podcast app. Even before that, they they bundled podcasts into uh, iTunes. I believe it's iTunes on on the phone. And um, you know, it, there's that that gets someone ninety percent of the way there. And are they actually going to go the extra mile and go look for a different podcast app? Um, and are they going to look for yours? And is is yours differentiated enough? And you know, I think it, premium content might be the way to do it. But you know, businesses have won sometimes even illegally over the years because they were able to bundle with the platform. I mean, look at yep. how IE achieved dominance on Windows or, or um, yeah, the, 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 being shipped with the platform is a, a very clear way to win. And actually, that's uh, in the, the mobile world pre-iPhone. Um, you know, it was a, a really difficult to install those Java apps on your flip phone. And the way that those companies used to actually get their their games and apps distributed was bundling, because yep. if it's on the platform, it's going to get used. And, um, you know, it's interesting, like the I'm thinking about the blogging space and, you know, Google acquired Blogger. Um, and you could argue that that's an example of the platform Google owning Blogger, owning the owning the, the having an unfair distribution of the distribution channel owning the platform. Um, but Blogger never had the kind of market share that um, that iTunes does that that Apple does with podcasting. Yeah, it's uh, true. All right, you want to grade it? Should we? bring this one home yeah so i think we should grade them separately and look at look at mid-roll and then stitcher or at least that, that's how i want to break mine down i like that mid-roll while while it is a better company is really 
they're really taking a flyer on spending 50 million on that thing. Their their revenues right now are I think like one and a half to two million a year, and you you really got to believe that there's going to be like a a a big change in the way that you can stick these businesses together to make that change meaningfully. And were I a betting man, I'd bet against them. So I'm going to... On the other hand, though, you know, in defense of mid-roll, <laughs> um, they do have, you know, they are the uh, the advertising network for some of the biggest podcasts, which, as we were saying, was, was one of the keys to unlocking this. Sure, sure. Uh, I still don't know if it's 50 million. Like... I don't know. I, I this is to me a old media company that has money lying around, sees their cash pile shrinking, and is concerned about the future and and sees the opportunity in podcasts. Sees the opportunity, but fifty million dollars for something that makes you know two million a year. How much did uh, Facebook acquire Push Pop Press for? <laughs> we don't know, but a lot less than that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Midroll is a D for me. Uh, uh, mid- of the two companies, Midroll is definitely my favorite, but God, that's a high price tag. Um, Stitcher, uh, could they have bought anything else? I mean, like if, if there's another podcast client out there, I, I guess Stitcher already has this ad pipeline built in that they wouldn't have to sort of do themselves. But to me, it, you know, yeah, like just, just pointing Midroll's ad sales at Stitcher... Uh, I have more faith in that as sort of a small business than I do of them executing the large opportunity of creating the top to bottom ecosystem successfully. So I'd say, you know, I'm, I'd go a B on the, um, the Stitcher acquisition just because they've already got mid roll and they can, they can, you know, point those ads into Stitcher and I'm sure make some money out of it and get their four and a half million out. But, uh, I don't think they're going to pull this big shebang off. (laughs) The, uh, yeah, the whole uh, the whole rodeo. Um, yeah, I think I'm with you. Looking at them separately, you know, I mean, one of the things with mid-roll, I'm not going to be as harsh as you. It really, even though the company was founded in 2010, like mid-roll only started two years ago. So, you know, yes, like that was a very healthy multiple. Whatever their revenue was, like it was a healthy multiple that they paid for it. But I'm sure it's growing very quickly, and if they can get uh, start to get some of the big, big publishers and represent them, maybe there's more to it. You know, I'm not incredibly bullish, but I'd give it maybe a C plus B minus. Now, you know, again, the the real issue is TAM, right? Like the, the whole key to this is you have to unlock the TAM, the total addressable market, and you have to do that through an integrated platform. Which brings us to Stitcher, right? And we have been hating on Stitcher in this with with, <laughs> with, uh, with probably with, with good cause um, in this episode. But again, like you know what you were just saying, Ben, I think is interesting. Like, who else were they going to buy? Right? Like, what were they going to do? They knew they had to have a client, and um, you know, this is scripts that we're talking about. And Midroll, while you know, great company and a podcasting company, it's not a tech company. It's an ad network. Um, and it's like a low tech ad network, like spoken word, <laughs> you know, just this is a people business, not a tech business. So they didn't have anybody that they could build this internally. And then who are they going to buy? Like they're not going to buy Overcast, which I use and love. You know, that's it's great. Margo Arman, it's great. He's not no way he's going to sell this to anybody, let alone to Scripps. How many? I wonder how many users. Well, uh, this is what Pocket I'm getting Cast to. Has. Uh, oh, Pocket Cast. Oh, I don't know. Pocket Cast could have been a potential one, but Stitcher for all of its problems. 
and we don't know how engaged these users are, but they had 8 million registered users. Now, I bet a lot of those were lapsed users. But if you do the math, they paid $4.5 million for 8 million registered users. So they paid just over 50 cents per registered user. Yeah. You know, if, if, big if here, they can magically hire some great people uh, to come in and actually build a really good user experience here. Like that's fairly cheap for like a pretty big head start. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't think they're going to pull this off. So I'd give that a, a B. You know, it's not terrible. They didn't spend much money on, on Stitcher. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm handicapping the odds of this success at, at low. But again, if they pull it off, right, they're going to look brilliant, right? Like if they can pull it off, I don't think they will. They will have spent, you know, $54.5 million to win this category. I don't think they're going to pull it off. Yeah. Hey, I also just figured out in looking at Crunchbase to see uh, if if Shifty Jelly, the awesomely named parent company behind uh, Pocket Casts, if, uh, if they'd raise any money. And according to Crunchbase, they haven't, but they are a an Australian-based company. So that explains oh, our cool. Australian listeners. Ah, very cool. Right. Shout out down under. Yeah. If you know anything about Pocket Casts, hit us up uh, in the Slack community or um, or by email. We'd love to chat about it. Okay, should we move on to follow-ups? I think it's time. Time. All right. Three uh, quick but super interesting follow-ups this week. First, Twitch, going way back to one of our earlier episodes. We talked a lot in the episode about the massive volume of of transactions that are going through the Twitch platform in, in tipping, which for those that are unfamiliar with tipping or did not listen to the episode, go back and listen to it. I think it was one of our really one of our best early episodes uh it's raw but um but it was good uh, so it tipping is. <laughs> is very raw it's this amazing phenomenon on twitch where people will just give other people money so like if you're streaming on twitch and um for a variety of reasons but your audience will just give you money uh it's called tipping and when amazon acquired twitch a couple years ago all of this was just happening off the platform through overlays and screen overlays that broadcasters would use could use bitcoin or paypal or stuff to do this they've now brought this onto the platform and they just launched it with a feature called cheering on twitch and uh and it uses a virtual currency called bits and super interesting this is gonna potentially unlock a massive revenue potential for twitch the company that was already happening in the ecosystem and and also want to give a tip of the hat to our slack community member james k who um brought this to our attention in the uh, in the Slack group. I had not seen it. So that's one. Two, follow-up to Facebook Instant Articles, Paper, RIP. Oh, man. It was the best iOS app ever, period. <laughs> Hands down. Wow. That was so good. High praise from Ben. <laughs> Facebook Paper is being shut down. Sadly, but the spirit lives on in instant articles within the main uh, within the main app. So, yeah, if you uh, never experience paper, you have until the end of July to rush out, download it, play with it. Yeah, so pour one out this, this weekend for for <laughs> Facebook paper. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, and then, lastly, uh, super interesting. We posted this in the Slack community: the SEC filing for LinkedIn, uh, detailing all of the ins and outs and blow by blow of the acquisition process came out uh, and it is super interesting. So we'll link to this in the show notes and it's also in the Slack group. But turns out there were actually five parties involved in bidding for LinkedIn. So Microsoft, obviously, and then 
you know, everybody assumed, you know, and we speculated on the show that Salesforce, it's now come out, Salesforce was heavily involved in the acquisition, but there were three others. Two have been identified as Google and Facebook. The Facebook uh, story is, is pretty interesting. Apparently, um, assuming that Facebook is the party that is referred to in the filing, Reed Hoffman had a meeting with the CEO, you know, of the company of Party D or whoever it was, um, Mark Zuckerberg, and said, "Hey, you know, there's actually this acquisition process for LinkedIn going on. Like, would Facebook be interested in?" And Zuckerberg was like, "No." <laughs> 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 um, so that was not a a, a uh, involved process wow. with Facebook. <laughs> uh, but Google apparently went pretty far down the path, and then so did the mysterious Party C. Nobody knows who Party C is, but they also spent a lot of time looking at LinkedIn. The other interesting thing in this filing is the bidding war. So the first bids, the first bid that, that Microsoft put in for LinkedIn was $160 a share. And uh, if folks might remember, the deal got done at 196 And so what happened, and I think that was about $5 billion worth of value that's the, the difference there. And so it turned out, so Salesforce and Microsoft were bidding against each other, started at 160 deal was on track to happen. Microsoft had won it at 182 per share. The merger agreement was being negotiated. Everything was going along. And then Salesforce, or Party A, as it's referred to in the filing, just comes in over the top after, after having you know, essentially pulled out um, with a $200 per share bid, kind of out of nowhere. But the bid was not all cash. It was mostly stock. And so that kind of threw the process, threw a rent, big wrench in the process, the whole deal with Microsoft had to get renegotiated um, and ended up getting done at 196, all cash. Wow. Great move, Salesforce. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope that, um, that Reed Hoffman and Jeff Weiner wrote a, 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 you know, sent a really nice bottle of wine to Mark Benioff yeah, after no that. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and, and we'll now compete against him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, should, we do, should we do the car out? Let's do it. All right, nice. I have a quickie this week. Um, we've actually, it's funny, we mentioned the ringer or twice already on this podcast and I've, the ringer itself has been my carve out, uh, the, the week that it launched, but my carve out this week is one of my favorite writers of all time announced this week that he will be starting at the ringer. And that is Mark Titus. Cool. Mark is a fellow Ohio state alum who, uh, was known or still is known. It's his, his Twitter handle as club trillion. And it's the most awesome name of all time because Mark would ride the bench um, and would get put in for one minute per game. So his stat line read one zero 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 zero. And so <laughs> he started this blog called Club Trillion while he was at Ohio State with the, the um, tagline views from the end of the bench. And he became this phenomenal sports writing personality and just hilarious to follow on Twitter. And uh, he wrote, I think he wrote for Grantland, actually, when uh, Bill Simmons was there. So really excited to see uh, Mark's writing come back to life at uh, at The Ringer. That's awesome. I love that. Was he there when you were there? He was, yeah. I'd, I'd get to watch his, his few seconds a game when they'd throw him in. That's awesome. <laughs> My carve out for the week is uh, actually a concept, a, a management tool, self-management or of your teams um, that probably a lot of you are familiar with called OKRs, Objectives and Key Results. And uh, I bring it up because it's uh, we just passed the midway point in the year. So I was doing my, um, my mid-year sort of uh, self-review and check-in. I've been using OKRs for a couple of years. They're really great. Uh, so the idea, there's 
a cool history behind it. Uh, Google uses OKRs, and they were introduced to Google when they were still a tiny startup by John Doerr from Kleiner Perkins, who was on their board. And so there's a great, we'll link to it in the show notes, uh, Rick Clow, who's a partner at Google Ventures and had been at Google and YouTube before that, gives a great kind of hour-long kind of overview about how the the objective and goal setting process works at Google. It's really good. I just use it myself, um, but it also is great for teams. And the idea is that you set a, a small, finite number of objectives for yourself in any period. And a, an objective is a high level thing. Like, so one of mine is, you know, help my portfolio companies. And then you set KRs or key results under each objective, and the and the key results have to be smart. So specific, measurable, actionable. actionable realistic and time bounded i think that's it anyway but so like one like one i have is spend at least 15 hours per quarter face to face with each founder of each portfolio company i work with so like has to be super clear did you hit this yes or no at the end of the quarter anyway it's a great system the concept is you should really stretch yourself and achieve half or less of your key results Um, (laughs) but anyway shout out to uh to okrs awesome this is a great time to tell you about one of our very favorite companies, Crusoe. So Crusoe, as listeners know by now, is a clean compute cloud provider specifically built for AI workloads. NVIDIA is one of their major partners, and literally Crusoe's data centers are nothing but racks and racks of A100s and H100s. And because Crusoe's cloud is purpose-built for AI and run on wasted, stranded, or clean energy they can provide significantly better performance per dollar than traditional cloud providers. Yes, we talked about that on our ACQ2 episode with Crusoe CEO Chase Lockmiller. The other element that makes Crusoe special is the environmental angle. Crusoe, of course, locates their data centers at stranded energy sites. So think oil flares, wind farms that can't use all the energy they generate, etc., and uses that power that would otherwise be wasted to run your AI workloads instead. Yep. Obviously, it's a huge benefit for the environment and for customers on costs since Crusoe doesn't rely on the energy grid. Energy is the second largest cost of running AI after, of course, the price you pay NVIDIA for the chips. And these lower energy costs get passed on to customers. It's super cool that they can put their data centers out there in these remote locations where, quote unquote, energy happens, as opposed to the other hyperscalers such as AWS and Google and Azure who need to build their data centers close to major traffic hubs where the internet happens because they are doing everything in their clouds. Yep. If you, your company, or your portfolio companies would like to use the lower cost and more performant infrastructure for your AI workloads, go to crusocloud.com acquired. That's C-R-U-S-O-E cloud.com acquired. Or click the link in the show notes. Well, that about does it. If uh, if you aren't currently subscribed and would like to hear more, you can subscribe from your favorite podcast client. And if you feel so inclined, we'd love a review on iTunes or to uh, tell your friends on Twitter or Facebook too. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Till next time. Till next time. Who got the truth? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Who got the truth now? Huh.